the word trial and temptation are the same word. Every trial has temptations, doesn't it? And every temptation is a form of trial. And so those ideas feed each other inside the Greek word, philipsis. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Our scripture reading today is from John 16, 25 through 33. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer talk to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be bold, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is something you may not have noticed in the text, and that's something that kind of strikes me. And that is Jesus talking about his intentions. I don't know if you noticed it or not. But he, he actually is self-reflective. In other words, th- what this tells us is Jesus is aware of how he communicates. And he makes decisions to either be clear or not clear. He makes decisions to speak in figures of speech. In figures of speech. That's a word for parables and, and uh, metaphors. And, and right here it says it. He says, I have said these things to you for a purpose. There's a purpose behind the very style and the very content of his message. And what is the purpose? That in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. This word for tribulation is good, well, well translated troubles or trials as it's used in the other parts of the scripture. But be bold, be brave, be courageous. I have overcome the world. And this ends here. This ends what's called sometimes the farewell discourse. It's, it's Christ's last sermon, great sermons, right? Great, great message to his disciples. And John is the one that really gives this to us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not. Now, uh, I wanted to call your attention to that because I'm intrigued by that. That, that clicks with me. That, that makes me wonder. I, I always wonder, what, what is Jesus thinking? I mean, if he tells us what he's thinking, that's an invitation for us to think about what he's thinking and wonder and, and plumb his purposes and, and think about how he thinks and why, what, what, what he does. And so I'm intrigued by it. I'm drawn to that. And, but I, wanna, I want to begin with a story and tell you the story I think, I think will be a form of backbone for how we'll open this text or, or, or we'll ask, the, we'll, we're seeking the Spirit. We are seeking you, Holy Spirit, 
through the sinful man to bring, bring your word of the gospel, your good news. And, and so, and in Jesus' name, amen. And, and so, um, I'm going to start with a story that, kind of, that, that I, you're very familiar with. In fact, there's a whole cultural meme about it. And I, in fact, it, it lives in our culture as, a, as, a, as an idea. So, so it says, and it's written, that, that, that Christ had been teaching all day and, and he forced his disciples. Every, every re- recounting of this story, Matthew and Mark and John, he, he constrained them. He made them get into the boat. It was his purpose and his intention. He was very intentional about it. He made them get into the boat. And they began to row, and he dismissed the crowds, it says. He, he had dismissed the crowds, and he went up on a mountain to pray. And, and so they began to row across the Sea of Galilee. It's only about an eight-mile stretch. And they started before sundown, which would have been 6 p.m. In, in, around then. That's how they would have thought of it. But it was still day when they started. And they began, now they began to row. Now, it was a windy night. A windy, blustery night. The waves are popping. It's, it's one of the white caps are frothing. And the wind's against them. So they're going against the wind. They're just going rowing and rowing against this breeze. This, this strong, it's not a breeze, strong wind. They couldn't get, couldn't get ahead of. Now the, the text, each, each narrative has unique little details that it gives you. John gives you a little detail that, that they continue that way until the fourth watch. Now, the Romans divided the, the night up into the 12 hours of the night into four watches, three hours apiece. So it was about three or four in the morning. That meant they had been rowing for over eight or nine hours. And John tells us they were only three or four miles across at that point. And it's an eight mile. They were halfway there after eight hours in a rowboat. That is something else. That is, that is they were sweating. They were Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were just shivering. But, but they were struggling to get across. Now, the text is really has these odd little flavors to it. John recounts that Jesus could see them. We say, well, Jesus was on a mountain. But remember, remember that the text is claiming things about Jesus that we may not be prepared to believe. It's claiming things about him which we may not be prepared to, to accept as moderns and as sophisticated materialists as we are in our skepticism. But, but as the story goes... Um, uh, Christ then decides to go down to them. And how does he get to them? Mid-lake. He gets a little boat and he rows. No, 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 no. He doesn't do that. Doesn't get a little skiff. Doesn't do anything like that. Does he swim? No, he doesn't swim. He doesn't swim. He simply walks on the water. And he walks right past. He's actually making to go past them. And they, the text says it. He was making to go past them when they saw him. And every gospel says this, they were terrified. They were freaked out as any sane person would be. In fact, let that be a credit to the disciples. They were not gullible or foolish. They were sane. And the first thing they cried out is, that's a ghost. No, that's, ah, they're, they're, they, they were freaked out. They were afraid. They were exhausted. <laughs> They were terrified. They were afraid. Now, only Matthew tells us this part of the story. For some reason, Mark uh, didn't, doesn't include it, and, and neither does John. But, but, uh, but Peter, uh, Peter responds to this. Now, Christ says something right there. He says, he says oh, no, don't be afraid. He said, no, take heart. Same, same verb, same tense, everything. Be bold. Don't be afraid. And then he says, don't be afraid. And remember, remember, don't be afraid 
is the most common command in the Old and New Testaments. The most frequent command to come from the Lord Most High is what? Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. And Christ says it right there. They hear it. Now, now uh, they, uh, they, they, they realize it's him. And Peter says, in his boldness and his brashness and his, and his, uh, and his personality, just his personality, he says, uh, Lord, command me to come to you. If it is you, he says. In fact, he even tests him. He says, if it's you, maybe a little uncertainty there, right? If it's you, uh, 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 command me and I, I'll come to you. And Christ says one word, come, come. All right, so Peter gets out of the boat and it says Peter walked on the water. And if you want to know what the real miracle is here, it's not Jesus walking on water, it's Peter doing so. The assumption of the narrative and the scriptures and all of Christianity is that Christ is God. Walking on water is par for the course. It's what he does on his day off. He does it anytime he pleases. But Peter, Peter doesn't walk on water. And we never know, again, that he, I always wondered, I always wondered, I was reading it, I wonder if he ever tested it. Can I do it again? I wonder if you ever, like in a tub or something. I wonder if I could, now, I wonder. All right, so. So, I mean, that's what I would have done. But, uh, but so, uh, and Peter and I have a very similar personality. Uh, but then, so then uh, uh, he, uh, Peter, Peter says he looked at the wind. It doesn't even say that he looked at the waves. <laughs> the scriptures actually say he looked at the wind and he, he got scared. He was looking at Jesus. He looked at the wind. He starts sinking and Christ grabs him. Just as he cries out, Lord, save me. Help, help. It's unlikely that they could even swim. And, uh, and certainly in the, middle of the, in the middle of Sea of Galilee in the night and a harsh wind, that would have been a scary proposition. Right at that moment, he saves him, gets him in the boat, and the, and the wind dies down. Everything gets calm. And then, and then Christ even rebukes Peter, says, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? You could have sprinted right across the lake. He doesn't say that, but I imagine that's the inference, right? Why did you doubt? Oh, Peter. Then uh, the, it says, now the, the response, uh, different, different, different writers re record different responses because different men re remembered things differently. Not just that, but different men had different purposes in how they were recording it because the story was a big story and you always take parts of the story that are important to you, right? And Matthew records that, that they worshiped him, said, truly you're the son of God, right? But then Mark tells us they, they, they were glad, but they couldn't really get it because their hearts were, were darkened. That's the story. Now, I've already tipped my hand. Now, many of you, this is a meme. I remember the first time I saw that Cars video. This is dating myself in the 80s when that, uh, he just recently died, the lead singer of Cars, and I had never seen anybody take that idea and play with it like this, and he's singing this stupid song. I can't remember what it was now, and he's walking across a pool you know, and, and, and you realize at one point, one scene, you can actually see a little bit of the glass that he's walking on, but it looks like he's walking on water, right? And I remember as a kid thinking, that's kind of irreverent. That feels like he's making fun of something to me. And I, I even thought of it then, but, and that meme has become a real meme. It's a, it's a part of our culture. You know, do you think you walk on water? Oh, he thinks he walks on water. Or, and all these days, it's used in our culture frequently. People don't often really know what you're referring to when they do that. Now, some of you will say to me, Chris, maybe some of you, Chris, 
You don't really believe that that happened, did you? Do you? I mean, do you really think that? Uh, how, and in fact, you could even pursue the question, do you really think it, but how could you think it? How could you imagine such a thing? Well, I'll tell you why. To me, it follows easily, easily from, how, from who Christ is. In fact, it, it follows as an inference that we ought to accept without, without, easily in this, in, this, in this instance because it follows based upon the premise that he is a God. And that's how he understands himself. It's how he describes himself. Just, and now, now we're gonna turn our hearts right here really quickly. I'm gonna give this almost no time at all, but to this wonderful, amazing, transcendent claim of Jesus Christ. I came from the Father, have come into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This four-part confession, uh, one commentator called it the children's confession, because it's so blessedly simple. It's so blessedly clear. Uh, uh, Brad has a tattoo on his shoulder, and it's an ichthus. And the early ichthus was an early, the same sort of uh, uh, summation. Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. That's what the initials were stand for. It was a code between Christians. Easy creeds are, are something helpful because they're easy to remember. And that's why they're helpful to us. And this is one given to us. He called, as I said, the one commentator called it the children's creed. And look how much is here. Look how much this lives and breathes. The pre-existent son of God, I came from the father. And I've come into the world in the incarnation. I am leaving the world, death and resurrection, and then going to the Father, ascension and exaltation. The entire scheme and claim of the divinity and the holy, the holy pre-existence and eternal existence of God the Son. He claims it. Now, if you can rise from the dead, walking on water is easy peasy, right? It's no, it's no effort. If you can rise from the dead, these other things are just easy. Uh, in other words, hear me as I say this, and as I say it as a rational man in the 21st century. I receive that this is a true story because the premise upon which I claim it is the appearance of a God into the world who came to save the world. And therefore, it follows. This is not stretching credulity. It's believing in the authenticity and, and the historicity of the of the event. You notice I put the Holy Spirit back in behind I couldn't resist it because the Holy Spirit's been this whole text the whole time, the helper, the one who comes alongside. And that's why he's ghosted out here. Oh, Holy Spirit's ghosted, get it? He's ghosted out here because he's kind of behind it, animating it and animating this truth. Now, I want you to notice something. V, I couldn't resist this. This is pointed out by one of the commentators too. V, victory, you know? Remember Winston Churchill's famous, famous hand gesture? The hippies later turned that into what? Peace. But don't make no mistake, they meant to do that. Victory is peace. Well, Christ claims the same thing, didn't he, just in that text? What did he say? What did he say? I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. Take courage. I have overcome. I have been victorious over the world. And I, I couldn't help but point that out to you. So I want to make my claims as clearly as possible. I want to be unapologetic before you. I want to be rationally beholden to my convictions and my assumptions. And I really want you to join me. <laughs> I want you to join me in my convictions and assumptions. I am speaking these things so you will know the Father as well. So, uh, that, so this is all building up. This is all, this overview of Christ's persons and work is oh, it's all, it's all just a build up. So, but what I want to talk about, I want to talk about 
the troubles of this world. Right here, tribulations. I don't like this word because this word is distinctively Christian. In other words, nobody talks about tribulations in this word. Nobody says, you know, I don't know, this party in power is just a tribulation for me. Nobody talks like that. The pundits or the speakers of our, war, of our generation don't use that word. It is a distinctly Christian one. And it can lead you into weird places where you say, well, is this the uh, tribulation of the saints? Or the, eh, eh, I don't like it. Don't like it. It's not the original word doesn't have that meaning. The original word is just trouble, trial. And it's interesting. Temptation. Trial and temptation. Now, this is fascinating to me that the word trial and temptation are the same word. Think of this with me. Every trial has temptations, doesn't it? Temptations to desert, temptations to fear, temptations to run, temptations not to believe. And every temptation is a form of trial and test and, 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 and suffering. There's suffering in temptation. And so it, these terms have a wonderful way of feeding. Those ideas feed each other inside the Greek word, philipsis. So uh, I, I, kinda, I want you to see that. Now, I'm working from this thing, uh, these things I've said to you, in me you have peace, in the world you have tribulation. What tribulations are in this text? Well, the first one I want to touch on is the trial of this world. The trouble of this world, one of the troubles of this world is confusion. You confused yet? Any of you, any of you not tracking with me already? Is that, has this already happened in the room? I don't know. I'm just, just asking. If it, if it has, just, just, just focus on reading the scripture over and over again. Don't worry about what I say. This is all better than anything I have to say anyway. So, but as I speak of Christ accurately, if I represent the word clearly, I am speaking with the voice of our father, right? As I preach in his name. But tested by the scripture. Now, but one of the troubles is confusion. I, I, I see this all the time, confusion, uh, not knowing what's true. And I want you to notice something first about confusion that it might alarm you a little bit. In fact, it might confuse you a little bit more. It might really scare you because Christ was committed to confusing people. Yes, as judge and as the eternal son, he chooses at times, and he chose at times intentionally to make his message obscure, to hide it. Well, what figures of speech are we talking about? What is it? What has Jesus called himself in the book of John so far? A loaf of bread, living water, uh, 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 bread of life, uh, door, a uh, shepherd, uh, again and again, images upon images. Now, we've been charmed by those images, and when we open them up, we see treasures in them. But when you first come across them, how about John start? In the beginning was the Word. <laughs> and who's that? What's that? It's, it's mysterious. It doesn't just play the hand. It's got Christ chose not to merely tell us and not confuse us. Why? Because there's a judgment in confusion, a judgment on the world. And there's things, there's treasures in confusion too that teach us that it's not about just us getting it up here, but it's also about us taking that long distance from here to here, right? The longest distance in all the universe is what? The difference the distance between your head and your heart. <laughs> it's the longest distance, the one that cannot be traversed easily. But, but see, so Christ intentionally confuses. 
Now, and, and, and this world revels in confusion. It uses confusion. What do people tell you when, you when you claim something about the Bible? They say, oh, well, you can use the Bible to prove anything. You, well, and the unfortunate thing is you can. There's a real truth in that. People will tell you, well, you have many interpretations. There are many, and what are people saying that? We're all confused. We're all confused. What makes you so special? Well, obviously Christ wants to take us from confusion to what? Clarity. I will tell you plainly. And I'm hoping today I'm going to take you from confusion to clarity. But let's, let's, let's look at the scriptures. They're, they're so faithful to this. Even when the disciples came, why do you speak in parables? To you has been given the kingdom, said Jesus, to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has more, more will be given, and the one will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So is Christ the only one in the Bible that talks this way? No, he's not. Isaiah talks this way too. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Is that just for the ancient people of Israel? No, it's not, because Paul quotes it and translates it a little bit differently in Greek. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Whew. I'll give you a little illustration of this. I think it happens. You know, confusion, I've noticed. I have noticed godly men, I've seen godly men and godly women do this. Don't let it happen to you. Where they will meet a very attractive boy or girl, and all of a sudden, any certainty about whether they should be dating a non-believer, they get confused. All of a sudden, have you ever had a convenient confusion yourself? A convenient confusion about something you kind of want, and you're kind of like wanting it, and creating enough blurry edges so you can justify it to yourself? Have you done this? Well, uh, if you have, you can join me because I've done it. And it's one of the sins of our hearts and it's revealed here. But uh, so it's, it's, so it's, we, we first find it's Christ's work, but we also find we will often settle for confusion because clarity scares us. And confusion kind of gives us a little wiggle room so we can do what we want. Father, forgive us. But they're confused, aren't they? And even we look at look at this story. Hey, let's go. This is the actual text that I was telling you the story from. He made the disciples get into the boat. Who 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 committed to them to this hardship and this confusing eight-hour journey across four miles of water? Jesus did. He was even watching them. He put them there. If you're a little confused today, I see you're confused right now. You're like, gosh, where's he going with this? Jesus may have actually confusing you right now. Like that confusion you have right now, you need to ask him to remove it. Ask him right now, right now in your heart, help me understand this stuff. Help me to understand this guy. Help me to be able to listen to him. When the disciples saw him, you noticed that they continued to be terrified. I was even thinking, and they said, it's a ghost. Him walking on the water, they were terrified. And maybe when I just said that Jesus actually intentionally confuses people, maybe some of you got a little scared. There's something kind of terrible about that, isn't there? There's something terrifying that God would choose to confuse you. Why, why would he do such a thing? Well, I think we'll see why as we look through it. But one of the troubles of this world is confusion. I want you to find peace in Jesus and be bold. He has overcome the confusion of this world. How can we together 
move from confusion to clarity. First of all, pray before you read your Bible for clarity and humility. Decide to trust and obey whatever the scriptures say, even before you begin reading. This is essential. You cannot go to God with this kind of like, I don't know, I don't know. Let me see what you got. Let me see what you got, God. Uh, I don't like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off from that truth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick something else. I'm not gonna read the Old Testament, it scares me. Uh, let me see what you got, God, and then I'll decide. You will never have wisdom if you do that. You'll never move forward in grace. and You'll never move out of confusion. You won't find peace and victory because you've sat in judgment of God's word. Uh, let, me, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to pray for this Holy Spirit so that you will have power to understand the scriptures. But let's go on to that. Take the plain and uncomfortable meaning of the text. God isn't a pet and the scripture is not a bunch of suggestions. When the scripture starts ticking you off, that means you've probably understood it. Did you follow this? I'm not going to be really candid with you. It was a wonderful young lady, Connie, who's been coming to our church. And last week, she, she said, oh, pastor, I like the sermon. I said, thank you. She said, it just made me so mad. And I said, thank you. I got all excited. Yes. I'm glad. Why? Why, was I, why would I be glad? I think she was a little surprised at my joy and her, and her frustration. Why? Because when, when, when God starts getting under your skin, that means you've probably gotten the message. You've started to understand it because this is not easy. This stuff gets under your, why? Because you're, we are so proud. We are so sure we can discern truth. We are so sure we know what's going on. And, and, or, or we, you know, ugh. This is one of those rules, and now I've told you this before, and, and, I, and I, I want to encourage you, treasure this your whole life. I'm serious. Some of you, I'll never see you again, perhaps, but this is a little truth that you should cherish always. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you, and you find uh, you disagree with something in it, you're wrong. All right, that's, that's, uh, so repeat after me. Whenever you, find, whenever you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong. One more time, because it doesn't sound like you got it yet. Whenever you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong. This is freedom, guys. This is peace. This is joy. Not more than that. This is walking into his victory. But let's go further. Let's go further. There's more here. There's more here. Because not only is the trouble that we get confused, there's a trouble that we have false gods. Now, I'm going to push on this. You might say to me, I don't, I don't worship a false god. But I would say every time you think something about God that he has not said about himself, every time you opt for a pet theory, perhaps you uh, think about the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God, or perhaps you even talk about how you see, you see God is removed and, he doesn't, and disconnected, the deistic idea that's so common in our world today, that God is some other, other worldly, way, 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 way out there. All those different ideas, when you hold an idea of God that isn't in the scripture, you create a false God. Almost immediately. In fact, it's really interesting to me. Christians, we as believers, are very vulnerable to idolatry. We don't even see it. Because we make, we make little visions of God that aren't biblical. <laughs> Maybe he's a grandfather to you. This is one that touches me so deeply here. Look at this. What is Christ? This is so strange. This is so strange. I hope you see how beautiful it is. I, in that day, I, you will ask in my name. He said this five times already in the farewell discourse. He's been saying this over and over again. We're going to pray in his name. And then he makes a little correction. I do not say, don't misunderstand me, Jesus is saying. I do not say, don't think that this is a 
technique, or it says something that you might misunderstand, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. But I thought he stands interceding for us. Wait a second, I thought there's a vengeance of Christ in his triumph and exaltation that he intercedes for the saints. Yes, he does. But he wants you to understand something. You directly speak to the I am, the ancient of days, world without end, face to face, period. End of sentence, full stop. He engages you as a friend, the almighty, holy, holy, holy is his name. And he said, by the way, call me friend. Don't miss this. In fact, this, this is so beautiful. I, it might even, might even escape. It'll escape in the English. This word love here. Now, he's, every time word has, love has come up in this text so far, it's been agape. And agape is the love of eternal self, of the self-surrender for the other. It's this transcendent love. But right here, that's not used. He uses phileo. That's where you get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love, the city of brotherly shove, where I come from. And so, and so, uh, and so this, he says phileo. That's wonderful. That means intimacy. I remember my mom used to say, uh, when we became Christians, she used to say, I'm really glad that God called us to love other people and not to like them because I don't like half the Christians I know, and, but I'm called to love them. But God never said I had to like them. Oh, that is a little bit of a relief in that, maybe. Maybe just a little bit. You're going to find Christians you don't like, pastors you don't like, but you still got to love them. But what is God saying? What is our Savior saying? What has he said? What did he say about Moses? The Mayim used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What did Christ already tell them? I don't call you servants. I call you fr the I am enthroned in majesty with colors of rainbow, with blazing fire is your friend. And Christ says, talk to him that way. Pour out your heart to him that way. That is what it means to know him. Ah, this is really precious, isn't it? And, I, and I, let's take a look here. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, it is you. And there's something that happens here. There's something that happens here. And we're gonna look at it in a second. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I, Peter tests Jesus here. He tests Jesus. I want, you, I want you to, by the way, what was the first words that Peter ever heard Jesus say? Come. Very, this is very powerful here. He's asking Jesus to say the one thing he remembered very clearly. If it's you, I know what you sound like when you ask me to follow. And he uses the, oh, it's gorgeous, isn't it? This is intimacy here. This is friendship. But let, 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 me, let, me, let me take us. To one of the troubles of this world is false gods. Find peace in Jesus and be bold. He has overcome the false gods of this world of your heart. How can we move from idolatry to intimacy? Well, we have direct contact with God as a person to another person. It's P to P, baby. And if you don't have that, you're not living in the fullness that Christ is offering. You're, you know, I, I have, do you have fantasies that God is somehow angry at you? Because that's what they are. That he's somehow waiting with upraised hand, oh man, when the minute Sid messes up this time, I can oh, just do it, just go ahead and do it, just do it, go ahead and do it, I'm gonna smack. <laughs> Honestly, I, that was my view of God for many years, that he was standing waiting to hurt me, to smite me, because I was such a wreck. Praise him, 
I remember telling people, <laughs> I shouldn't go off script, but I remember this, um, saying to people, um, you should give me a wide berth today because um, I might get struck by lightning. I would say, give me about 10 feet. Uh, I used to say that. And of course, no wonder everybody was so worried about me. But invite him, this is about everything. Invite him into your heart. Talk to him about everything. Do you know him that way? He is inviting you to be his friend. Don't you get it? I, have, I am so weary and tired of those who say, I don't bring to God uh, the little things because, you know, it's too important. He's too important for that. You have a false God then. You worship a false God because that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God offered to you in Jesus. It is not the tender father, is it? That's a false vision of God. And that false vision has to be repented of because he's inviting you to tell him everything. And you know what's funny? As a dad, or as my, my, my sons are, are now my friends, I never tire of hearing about their lives because I love them. They're my friends now. I have them twice over. They're both my sons and my friends. Oh, what a blessing. And everything matters to me. Everything matters to him. Pray to him about the, the reports you have to do and the meeting you don't like and the... And the and, the traffic you can't seem to get through without cursing. That was confessional. Okay, if you seek to hear Jesus' voice and think maybe you have. Now, this is another thing. Let's go back here a second. I, maybe you'll misunderstand this. Because it says, uh, Jesus says, eh, um, and that day you will ask in my name. And he talks about, you will just, you will, you will, I will speak to you. I have said these things. The hour is coming when I will no longer talk to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. That's verse 25. Now, the reason I bring that up is because we ought to seek to hear Jesus' voice, full stop. We, we should. We should seek to hear Jesus' voice. Now, some of you will say to me, we're going to find it in the Bible. Yes, and think maybe you have. Maybe you think you have heard his voice. Always test it for authenticity, right? Because what? It will always agree with the Bible always. God's never going to contradict himself. He's not an idiot. He's not, he's, not, he's not like us. He doesn't send contradictory messages. He sends whole messages. And, we, and we, uh, we, uh, sometimes we don't understand them, but always, it will always agree with the Bible. But I want you to, I came across this, and this really charmed my heart this week. This is Barnhouse's preaching. And he said, have you ever had an urging from the, script, the Spirit to do something? Maybe go talk to somebody, make a choice about a job, uh, thinking about a move, thinking about a person you want to romantically connect with. And you kind of want to seek Jesus. About, and you maybe have a little voice in your heart. Is, is this, am I the only one who feels? We have these, don't we? Well, let me, tell, let me encourage you about something. When you hear a voice, just ask it. Test it. Ask it about Calvary. Just ask him. Ask that voice to tell you about what Jesus did at the cross. Because if it's from the Lord, you know what you're going to hear? That's where I loved you. I am king. That's where I, yes, I'll tell you about the cross. But you know what? If that thought is not of the Lord, if it's not his voice, I don't think it's going to say those things, is it? It's not going to talk about the cross, is it? Learn to trust the internal instincts informed by the scripture, challenged by the scripture, but challenged by your own heart to be sure that you're not following just will-o'-wisps and imaginations. I struggle with this all the time, guys, because I, our father speaks to me at, at times, and I, I, I get freaked out because I'm like, that, am I going crazy? Is that me? Is that some of my imagination? I feel, like a, I feel like my little dog chasing my tail, just going round and round. Oh, wait, stop, Chris. You're busy. Let's go on then. Because the, the third trouble is, is probably the worst of all of them, and then we'll be done. You guys, so... This, this discourse began in John 13, 36 to 38. This is fascinating. 
By the way, this shows a, a high level of intention from the author, from John, because this, the, the text began with a challenge. Because we're, 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 Peter said, Lord, where you're going, Christ says, you can't follow me now. And he says, Lord, what can I follow you now? It's like this, now, I, I'm ready, I'm there. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until it's done me three times. Now look at the end of the discourse. Some three chapters later, the disciples now do this. They do the same thing again. They make the same error. And they, what is this? What is this trouble? It's spiritual pride. It's spiritual pride. Having gl glimpsed something or understood it, thinking, just my understanding, I get it. I got the tiger by the tail. I got Jesus on the ring. I know what I know. And now I can move. Now I, now. But listen to this. Look, look at this. Christ has said the hour is coming. And they say now. You hear it? They're not listening to him. They're not listening. He's even telling them the, the, the benchmarks in time. It's coming. And what do they say? Well, we're ready now. We're not good. Now. We get it now. Just like Peter did. But we know. They didn't get anything. They were acting in ignorance and foolishness, even though it seemed like they understood. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. You know, I, I, I don't want to preach about this one because this is me, baby. This is my crime. Spiritual pride. Where you think having grasped a theological concept has made you understand it. <laughs> when in fact, it's just another idea you can flash in front of friends to impress them. I know it doesn't impress anybody, any of you or anymore, but, but you know, there's somebody out there impressed, I'm sure. And, but what is this? It, it, it's, it's the imagination of spiritual pride. It's that moment where you just kind of, and you've, every one of you has done it. You've said, I'm never going to do that sin again. I'm sick and tired of that sin. I'm never going to talk like that again. And then a day later, you're saying the same darn thing over again. Can I get an amen? We've all done this. We've all asserted we were beyond something or past something or we got some truth. Only to find within a few short hours or a few short days or weeks, we had abandoned it. And we had forgotten all about it. What is, it, what is happening there? Spiritual pride. And we all suffer from it. It's a cancer in the heart. We are all subject to it. The Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Where do I go here with sufferings and counting all joy when you meet trials? This is the same word as tribulations that we were looking at in our passage. Why all this? Because what the first thing we do is we take ideas of theology and we say, I can believe in this and not have to suffer for it and not have to pay a price, and not have to die, and not have to be rejected, and not, oh, we all want a Jesus that doesn't threaten us in any way, or threaten our, our security, and our popularity, and our, our livelihood, and oh yeah, and that is the classic test case. Every time you've understood something, but you're not willing to die for that understanding, you've already, you see, you've already lost it, you see, because you want the prosperity gospel. You want to, now look, the disciples, even in the text, this is so fascinating to me. Matthew records, they worshiped him saying, truly you're the son of God. And I'm sure they did. But Mark noticed 
They did not understand about the loaves. He had just fed the 5,000. They couldn't see that he was truly that transcendent person. They had a name for him, but no content to the name. Is that you? Do you have a theology that hasn't gotten from your head to your heart? Well, maybe that's why you're walking in a lot of confusion, because God will continue to frustrate you with confusion if you're committed to the troubles of spiritual pride. They poison churches, they poison pastors, they poison elders, they poison everything. We're all right next to it. If you don't feel it, this, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say to you what, what the Lord said to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door and it is desire is to have mastery over you. And I can safely say that to all of us about spiritual pride. One of the troubles of this world is spiritual pride. Find peace in Jesus and be bold. He has overcome the spiritual pride of this world. How can we move from pride to his process? First, identify how you have mistaken knowing theology for knowing God. He knows and predicts it and still loves you. There's a warmth in this, isn't there? Part of the disciples' clumsiness and oafishness uh, makes me feel so much better because I'm such an oaf. <laughs> you see, if the very cherished leaders of the, of the gospel were susceptible to these things and God knew it and Christ even predicts it, he's going to the cross to save them from it. He knows who they are. He knows the spiritual pride we all fall into and are so susceptible to. Isn't it wonderful that even as he identifies it and he calls it out, he knows he's going to save you from it. <laughs> praise him. You know how tender he is, even with proud men. Oh, praise him. <laughs> oh. Second, we, find, we want a faith that doesn't have any suffering. You know what that's called? It's called prosperity gospel. Whatever form or shape it takes. It's where you get Jesus and you get the good stuff too. Everything you want. Jesus is your lottery ticket. No, he's not. Well, he is once you get off the false path of pride that this is. I want to end with this. Um, and this oh, well, there's the Sea of Galilee and all that. I already did all that. I want to end with this little note here. Um, and I want this to be true about our community. And I, and I hope I exemplify this with you. And I, by God's grace, put whatever you see in me in this, put it into practice. So I'm going to bake that boast with Paul. Yes, I'm going to make that boast because this is created by the Holy Spirit. I know it is. Because it ain't me. It ain't me, babe. Now, why do we know how Peter told Jesus, you're not going to a cross? How do we know that they were so clumsy and didn't know anything? How do we know that they claimed all this stuff about how they were going to follow God and then didn't? How do we know that Peter himself would, would quietly by himself betray his Savior and then see him at the cock crows across the lot while Jesus is, is bleeding and is suffering and he saw him and he heard the cock crow and he went, <gasps> and he began to weep bitterly. How do we know these stories of their constant oafishness and failure? Because they told us. They told us. You see, that's the mark of God's work in the believer when we are open about how we have failed. I confess my spiritual pride to you today. Don't rejoice over your superiority to me. Praise God that he loves me anyway. <laughs> and he has loved you too when you made pronouncements, when you opted for confusion, 
when you created false gods? What does all these testimonies mean over and over again, but that he will love and save you even when you, even when you do these things? And I believe there's a great message for us as a community to grow and to, and to have, shine a light in San Francisco as a bunch of people who constantly say, we didn't get it, we have failed, we, it's all our savior. It's all our savior. Eyes on him, Peter walks on water. Yes, that's the great miracle, isn't it? And you and I, walking free of confusion, walking free of our idolatries, walking free of spiritual pride. You know what that is? Woo! That's some spiritual walking on water, brother. That's beautiful. Only Jesus can make it. May Jesus make it in us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how I thank you for your word. <laughs> oh, Father, how I praise you that you, you loved me when, when I was confused, when I prayed confused prayers. You loved us when we, we didn't know how to pray. We prayed for foolish things. You still loved us. And then we had ideas about you that were unworthy of you, <laughs> unworthy of your beauty. We had pet ideas about you, and you're not a pet. You're the Lord Almighty. Father, I praise you for loving us through our false gods causing us to turn from them and turn to you, the living and true Father. And finally, Father, I thank you for your tender forgiveness for those men and their pride and this man and his. Lord, may I praise you forever that you showed love to a sinner like me. Take this word, Father, and seal it into our hearts and give us joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. I proclaim to you the Lord's, uh, the Lord's death until he comes. This is his salvation right here, materially for the most simple to understand. And yet not one of us can claim to even grasp it. <laughs> this is love eternal. He came from the Father. He entered into this world, the incarnation. Here it is. He's incarnate in us now. He left this world and now is with the Father. Praise him. I invite you, if you believe in that creed and the Apostles' Creed as factual events. I, I preach to you no mythic Savior. And there's, no, there's no power in a mythic Savior. This is a real Savior in space and time. I proclaim this to you. If you have received the Savior, even in your confusion and idolatry and pride, if you claim the Savior and repent of those things and turn from them to him, this is your life. Come, come, this is your joy. This is our table. Secondly, though, if, 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 you, uh, if you think you're a good person, I have some bad news for you. This gospel is get bad news for good people because it, the gospel says that good people can't claim to come to the cross because they they're still too proud. If you think you're good, you're, you're committed in your pride. I'm sorry, I can't apologize for that, really, can I? <laughs> sorry, Father, for apologizing. This isn't your table if you're a good person. Finally, if you're a skeptic and you find my claims uh, wild and fantastic, well, join the club. There's a lot of people who do. Uh, your, your, your claims and skepticism are, are pretty, I think, trite in the end. But I will tell you this, uh, ask this God to make himself real to you. Be humble in your skepticism and maybe you will see the light of life. Maybe you will. I hope you'll envy us in the joy we have in it. All right, now, let's, uh, we'll go into a time. We're going to speak the, the words of, um, 
uh, the mystery of the cross, then the, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, then after that, uh, during our song, uh, will you come forward to get the table, the bread and the wine, take it back to your seat, and we'll take it together at the end and be dismissed with the doxology and a benediction, okay? All right, uh, let's stand. We just proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Tell me, uh, First Press guests, uh, all of you who claim Christ, well, what do you believe? Well, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. There he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.